We praise you that you can do today what you did in the Acts of the Apostles. We pray that as we read your word this morning, as we reflect on it, you will inspire us, you will encourage us, you will excite us, you will reignite, if needed be, the fire within us, that we would live for you, speak for you, and give our lives for you. Breathe into us, we pray, the same Holy Spirit that was poured out at Pentecost, that others would know that you live because you live in us. They would be captivated by your beauty, your power, your character and your love, and the remarkable character of those who call themselves Christians. Father, waken us from our slumber. Waken us from what we are used to, the familiarity of your word. And waken us into a place where we can be of use to you in this valley. Like we've never seen before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can I stir you up this morning? Wake up, stir you up. Wasn't that exciting reading? Which one? All of them. Acts. Acts was the early church. It was the embryonic church. It was the baby in the womb, sort of. A group of Jews fulfilling the prophecy or recognizing the fulfillment of their long-awaited prophecy, the Messiah had come. And as usual, God didn't do it as we thought he would do it. And if we're still trying to get God into our little framework, give it up. He is not like we are. His thoughts are not like us. So let's stop trying to control him. When you think you get him all sorted out, he does something else, like get born in the stable. When you think he's coming as a king, he gets crucified. He's not like you and me. Thank God. So he's unexpectedly, this Jewish nation is waiting for the Messiah to come riding in on a white stallion with a military army to, throw, to take over the uh, Roman Empire and bring freedom to the Jews. And a carpenter's son trots down the hill from the Mount of Olives on a donkey with palm branches, not spears, and a braggled group of disciples muttering about what on earth is going on. The most powerless demonstration of a kingly entrance ever seen in the world. Pathetic. To our eyes. And they crucify him and they spear him and they say, thank God he's finished with. Now let's get back to church on Sundays and singing the hymns. And they roll the stone over his grave. And if you're really quiet, you can hear the words of Jesus in the air. And they come from John 12:23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servants also will be. Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, there will be no fruit, either in that seed's life 
or in the life of the church. So our first challenge is, are we perennial Christians living in greenhouses needing to be looked after, nurtured, kept warm? Not in this place, you're not. <laughs> or are you, annual, you know, are you annual or are you perennial? Are you pot plants that Jesus has to look after all the time and you never grow up? Or we never grow up? As soon as you're taken out of the greenhouse, you wither and die. Really bold within the walls of the church, really chicken outside. That's what the church is like in most of the Western world, isn't it? Do you know why? Because you can't grow and stay alive. We've got to learn to die in order to live. So Acts is all about the seeds that were around Jesus at his death and crucifixion that were scattered. Terrified chicken, various stages of unbelief. This is not what we expected. And after his resurrection, he rises and he gathers these seeds that are all over the place and probably about to be pecked up by the crows and he rejuvenates them. He gathers them together and he inspires them, he breathes life into them and he says, you know, the things that I talked about are true. And the unbelievable took place before their eyes as the man who they heard about, because most of them didn't see him crucified, they were too scared to be known by anyone around there, quite understandably, except John and Mary and some of the other women. Men mouth off and run. Women usually stick around in the tough times. It's always been that way. Men lose their job and they go and drink and look at the strippers. Women keep the family together. It's not what God plans, but that's how it often works. So, there's this gestation period after the crucifixion and the resurrection and Jesus gathers his disciples and he appears to them and he reassures them and then he says to them, uh, wait in Jerusalem, we talked about this a few weeks ago, until the Spirit comes in power. So they waited and it must have been a frustrating time and a difficult time and a frightening time and a vulnerable time. And if you and I want to follow Jesus, we better get used to those times too because they're there. If we can't wait and we can't be still and we can't be patient, we won't go anywhere. Sometimes we can be busy to avoid the waiting. Because when you await, you have to come to terms with yourself. So, this is exciting. Don't worry, I'm not beating you up. God might, but I'm not going to take responsibility for that. And these, two, these people in, um, in Acts, when, they, they, uh, when the Spirit came upon them, it was like the electricity suddenly coming into the whole system. And for the first time, the, the power surge came and, and everybody was electrified. It was that different from an oil lamp to an electric power. And these people who had run around scurrying and hiding were changed. Not from imperfection to perfection, but they were changed from the inside out and the core change in their lives was what? This conviction. 
was conviction that God was real and that Jesus was alive and this was something to live for and something to die for. And right from the first call of Jesus, of his disciples, early on when he walked along those uh, rocky shores of Galilee and called his disciples to follow him, you can track their lives. Their lives were about... They were like a concertina. They came in with Jesus and they spent time with him. They went out into the world and they saw how flaky they were. And they came back to regroup and then they went out again. They came back to regroup and they came out again. Continually learning about what to do and how to follow Jesus and what it meant to follow him, to take him seriously. And sometimes they messed up and sometimes they didn't. And sometimes they were really encouraged and other times they were broken. If we want the power of the Spirit, we've got to have the brokenness of the clay vessels, which is us. You can't have one without the other. That is the core of why these people that we're talking about this morning actually ended up dying. Brutal deaths for what they believed. It's good news. I think it is good news, you know. Unless you've got something to live for, there's nothing worth dying for either. Most of us are bored stiff. I mean, our whole lives are spent worrying about our retirement. So we can be even more bored stiff. Well, this must be the most pampered world in the world. <laughs> I'm just, you know, resentful because I don't retire. I've got an issue. <laughs> It's not that funny. <laughs> so, what are we getting at? We're getting at this uh, beginning of a wave of uh, Christian growth that came out of seeds falling into the ground and rising in a new way and a new purpose. Always relating back to Jesus. Jesus being real, Jesus being the comforter, Jesus being present in the Holy Spirit. Always relating back to the relationship with Jesus. And so in Acts, uh, we see this waiting in Jerusalem for the power. As we've talked about before, some of us are still studying the Bible in Jerusalem with no power and just theological stuff that goes on and on and on. It's powerless if it stays there. Pentecost, six weeks later, the power of God comes upon them. And they speak in tongues and people go, what's going on here? We can understand what these men are saying. And Peter stands up, the one who'd run away in public before, stands up and said, this is God. These guys are not drunk, it's only nine o'clock in the morning, this is God. So we read that the first, you know, 25 years of the uh, Christian church, they all just met together, worshipped God and spoke in tongues. No. The gifts of the Spirit are not for competing with each other about who's most blessed. They're given to empower you to live and to die. I'm convinced that one of the hallmarks of powerless Christianity is arguing theology all the time. It's a wonderful way to not do anything. And I think if you read the scriptures, you actually find God's quite capable of using useless, rather ignorant people very well. It's the educated ones, by and large, and I'm highly educated. 
that are pretty useless. I'm just saying that, you know, because I, I can argue from that side. Look where it's got me. Stuck it with a, in a cold hole with you again. <laughs> and there's a God <laughs> who loves us and cares. Man, you cold yet? All right, so we then segue into Peter and John. They come in chapter 3. They're going up to the temple to pray. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it's probably Tuesday. This means nothing. I'm joking. (laughs) But it is the afternoon. It's a busy place. It's Jerusalem. And they see this crippled guy who's begging. And they say, silver and gold have I none. Get up and walk. In the name of Jesus, look at us. Get up and walk. And he gets up and walks and dances around. And they walk into the temple gathering quite a lot of attention. And Peter turns around and says, what's the problem? This is Jesus, the one who you crucified. It's his power, he healed this guy. And Jerusalem began to stir. Something's going on here. And because it was stirring, it was out of the control of the religious authorities, so they decided to take matters into their hand. And as usual, when authority is challenged, it becomes very authoritative. So they decide to go and arrest these men and have them answer for what they're doing. Now this is where we get into the meat of this. Why on earth could Peter and John just not have shut up and gone to the temple and worshipped God and left it there? Like we do. And not cause a fuss. You see, the whole of the life of the first century church was in the marketplace. They were going on their way to worship when they saw someone with a need. But they'd been round that way many times before. Jesus probably had seen that guy. He was over 40 years old. We don't know why it happened this time. But we have people like David Shadbold here to help us to hear God so that we can hear what God wants to do and when he wants to do it. And in this time, God seemed to say by the Holy Spirit to Peter and John, now's the time for this guy. Peter wasn't winging it. He wasn't going, oh my word, I don't know what to do. Oh, in the name of Jesus. He knew. God had already told him. He spoke to him. The Holy Spirit spoke through him. Gave him the authority and the permission and that man was healed. An ordinary man was Peter with an extraordinary God and a Holy Spirit that enabled him to do far more than he could ask or imagine. If that's possible for Peter, it's possible for you and me. Only if we're willing to follow Jesus. And so they they came, uh, let's see, they were, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the disciples were teaching, the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming that Jesus, in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. 
They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. It's a lot of people in Jerusalem. The next day, the rulers and elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Whenever I read this, I, I remember, and I'll do a name drop, when I was at Oxford attending a Billy Graham uh, meeting with theological students and there were 700 theological students and the impact on Oxford was pathetic all the people attending the university oh it was awful and Billy Graham it's one of the reasons I really admire him Uh, he got to shake my hand which was an honour for him (laughs) and uh, he, uh, he spoke the simple gospel message Jesus is the Son of God who came into this world for people who had got lost. And he went to a cross for their sin and he rose from the dead. To a bunch of academics, he spoke the gospel. And I thought that's really courageous to be a fool in an ivory tower is no easy thing. And so you have this classic confrontation between religion and faith. Religion of the leadership, religion of the religious status quo and the faith that is manifest in Peter and John. Religion coerces, religion gives rules, religion says go out and evangelize and it's work. And it's not very effective, is it? Guilt never gets you anywhere. And what these religious leaders found standing before them were two men whose hearts had been touched and changed on the inside by the risen Lord Jesus in a way that gave them a courage and a, and a, a boldness that they had never seen before. But it didn't come cheap. And I make this point because I really believe that we're in a culture and an age where we want it cheap and easy. And so we get what we want. We have a cheap and easy gospel. That's why nobody wants it. So the alternative is to look in the mirror and say, here am I, Lord. We spend too much time looking at one another and making excuses. You're enjoying this, aren't you? I'm enjoying it. Jesus went to the cross for this. He laid down his life. Peter and John faced their own personal demons many times between Galilee and Jerusalem. Don't be discouraged if hanging around Jesus brings up your own issues. It should. And you can run. We've all run. But he doesn't get tired. 
He just waits. And says, when you've finished running, we'll still go back to that same place. Because your death to self is the key to your life. And Peter, we get so encouraged by Peter because he screws up so brilliantly. And he gets broken so magnificently. But it's no fun for Peter. But Peter is in one of those awful places where he knows too much about God to really be free. And he loves too much about himself to really be submitted. You know the feeling? And so Jesus waits for him and pushes him until he breaks because it's the only way that Peter is going to be able to stand like he's standing now in Acts. And the irony is if we deal with ourselves and we get broken, we'll lose control and Jesus says, you ain't got control anyway, you're just being stupid. I'm only going to break the stuff that doesn't matter anyway. I'm only breaking the idols. I'm only breaking the stuff that you trust in that isn't life. But it feels like that. So it'll hurt. Get over it. And out of Peter's brokenness and in his weakness, he found his courage and his passion. And if you want to see somebody fully alive in the New Testament, it's Peter. And it lasted for 40 years because when he was crucified, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Turn me upside down. I want to be crucified upside down during Nero's campaign. So you have this group of, uh, this, this unschooled ordinary men is how they're described, facing the uh, religious leaders. Don't you think our culture is tired of religious people? Don't you think they're tired of the three-piece suits and the slick hairdo and the diamonds and the uh, send the donation to the John Cox Ministries? I think they are. Don't you think they're tired of hearing what they're not? The problem with the world is there's too much sin, there's too much sex, there's too much drugs, there's too much drink. Everybody knows that. That's not really incredibly intelligent. Oh, thank you for sharing that. There was an article in the Globe and Mail yesterday morning about uh, people who spend billions of dollars looking for happiness. And you create the right energy. That's one of the cool ones right now, which is, uh, you know, positive energy attracts energy. The power of positive thinking. And the woman who wrote it said, I'm so sick of these things. I had breast cancer recently and somebody said, oh, this will build your character. And she said, it was lousy. (laughs) It's cheap happiness. It's denial. It's a crock. But I play squash at the Bayside and every month the power of positive thinking and self-help workshops are packed with people. They're nearly as bad as Christian conferences. (laughs) How can I get to another conference so I can get inspired so I can actually get this thing without actually suffering? 
How can I get the power of Jesus in my life without actually having to die or give up anything? That wasn't in the notes. So what made a difference? These guys standing in front of the authorities and they were unschooled, ordinary men. Alright, so there's room for all of us. And women. Even women. I just got to wake you up. I mean, you know, I want a little bit of a... There, thank you, thank you. I see that fist, I see that fist. Another one, thank you. Punch the air for Jesus. And the authorities were speechless. Why? Because beside these unschooled people, there was a 40-year-old man who had never walked in his life. And he was standing there grinning from ear to ear. And they didn't know what the heck to do. And Peter's, I bet you Peter must be smiling. He's got that character. He must be smiling. Saying, it's Jesus. That was powerful. What does the world want to see? The world wants to see you and me standing in front of them with somebody with a testimony like that next to them. That'll make them speechless. They're sick of words. They want to see a life transformed. That's why Jericho Road, I believe, exists. Five thousand people came to Jesus without television, without microphones, without guitars. And if you have five thousand men, you probably have ten thousand families, families and children. That's half the size of Port Alberni. In two months, we have 20 churches in Port Alberni all arguing with each other. All little, small, powerless, arrogant, I don't know, boring. So, what do we do? Just feel guilty? Are you feeling guilty? Uh, you're not feeling guilty, are you? I mean, that's, that's pathetic. Now, don't waste your time with guilt. Guilt isn't going to get you anywhere. You feeling sorry for yourself? Good. Good. We just want to clear out some of these obstacles because I have a tendency to alienate everybody. So. <laughs> I'm basically saying let's grow up, you know. I mean, if we want a, a living church, then we're going to have to get some action going. We want to see some cripples healed. We want to see Brock healed. I'm not joking either. We want to see people healed. And I'm not doing a hype either. Please don't misunderstand me. But you don't get from God if you don't desire. You don't get from God if you don't start saying, Lord, show us and teach us. You don't get to pray for the sick if we haven't got the guts to be embarrassed in front of each other. We don't get to pray for the sick if we don't know how to hear God because we haven't taken any time to hear God, we're too busy. You see, the root of this early church was three years devoted to relationship with Jesus. So there's a really core bottom line here in that's what's your relationship with Jesus. Nurture it, get it going. There isn't anything else. And you're responsible for that and I'm responsible for that and if you can't get it, then ask somebody to help you. But humble yourself. If you don't humble yourself, somebody else will. 
so while we're on a roll and it's just getting more and more exciting, Matthew 5 is where Jesus really cuts in now for our final little pep talk, which is Jesus' words in Matthew 5.13. I feel like I want to hear you say, Amen, and let's go, you know, I'm just getting all turned up here. You are the salt. <laughs> you are the salt of the earth. You are. But if the salt loses its saltiness, stop preaching. How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown away and trampled by men. Half the church is thrown away and trampled by men and women as irrelevant and useless. Jesus said you are the salt of the earth. Salt was one of the most valuable commodities in the Roman world. It, came, it was formed in the ocean and came uh, formed by the sun. It was very pure, very valuable. And William Barclay in his commentary brings out three, uh, three hallmarks of salt. It's purity, it preserves and it provides flavor. And Jesus said, you are, to his disciples, the salt of the earth. Purity means what? You're without sin? Of course it doesn't. You haven't got a hope. Purity means that you stand up in a crowd and you maintain standards. You're different. Not because of what you're trying to impose on others, but because of what you have agreed to with Jesus on your own. Which leads me to ponder something with you. Hmm. Peter and John were coming to the temple and they healed a guy and they came up in front of the authorities and they weren't very politically correct. What would have happened in Canada? What would have happened in Port Alberni? You see, these Christians ended up dying. They went to prison. They were fed to the lions. They lost their jobs. There was stress in their families. In our culture, what do we give up for Jesus? What does it cost? We want it cheap and easy. So the growth is in Africa, where they know about suffering. I'm not saying God wants us to suffer. I'm just going, we're so cocooned in our comfort. We don't dare talk about Jesus because we might offend somebody. Well, offend them then. Don't you think? Don't you think it's time to cause a little bit of, what do you call it? I don't know what the polite word is. I don't even know what a rude word is right now. Don't you think it's time to actually stir up, not because of our character and personality. I know about that, and that's not helpful. But because of Jesus. But you don't stir up if you don't have a healed cripple by your side. That's what's humbling. 
It's really easy to stir up with nothing to show for it and a lot of pointing fingers. It's very powerless. So if you want to stir up, work with Jesus to get the cripple healed to stand by you. Then people will listen. I dare you. I dare us. That would be exciting. Then we would worship. Look in the mirror, that's the answer. Jesus saying to you and me, who do you say I am? What do you think I can do? What will you give me? How can I use you? Well, Lord, between three and four in the afternoon would be suit my schedule. There's the problem. How much can he interrupt inconvenience and stretch? Salt is really, really insignificant one grain at a time. But where there's much salt that's scattered, it has a huge impact. You and I on our own won't do much. You and I working together with the Lord can accomplish far more than we can ask or imagine. Purity of salt is examples of our lives, our lifestyles. And that doesn't mean perfection, it means humility. It means saying, this I know, Jesus changed my life and this is how he's doing it. You see, the hallmark of real Christians, I believe, is ability to say where you haven't got it together yet. I'm so sick and tired of this nonsense about come to Jesus and everything's solved. It's certainly not my testimony. He screws up your life and then the Christians screw it up and the whole thing's screwed up. And then you have to take some responsibility yourself. But it's still life. So there's purity, there's preservation, which is being good, being salt within the company that you keep, which means speaking up. Some of us think we just have to be silent in front of people. Well, your life probably doesn't radiate Jesus enough. You're going to have to talk. And it adds flavor. And what's the greatest flavor the world desires? Well, a couple of them, I'm sure. Peace, despite circumstances. Joy, despite circumstances. Love, that is sacrificial and unconditional. Thank you, Barbara. (laughs) You don't get those qualities without keeping company with Jesus. You get a sort of veneer that you can fake for an hour but you won't get the quality that goes to the cross or stands up and speaks. It won't have the the root, it won't have the guts, it won't have the character. So, we talk about sending people out on mission. You don't change in an aeroplane. So if we want to go out on mission overseas, let's go on mission here. So I've got four, four suggestions as we close this happy hour. I, I, I want, I'm pleading with God that he makes us restless, that he makes us impatient, that he makes us uh, want more. 
And then he also makes us responsible for our growth. I want people to be starting to ring up saying, we want a group, we want to get going on this thing. So we live prepared. So the first thing is what I've said already. I'm just repeating myself. Relationship with Jesus. How's your relationship with Jesus? How are you spending time with Him? If it's not, and you're struggling with your relationship with Jesus, then get help. Email me or phone me and say, I want to talk about my relationship with Jesus. It's pretty pathetic. I'll say, great, let's get together. Talk to David. He's often busy, though. I, I'm, I don't do anything. He, he's busy. But, uh, you know, or talk to somebody else and say, look, you know, I need to work on this. Take responsibility for it. Don't be embarrassed. But say, I need to work on this relationship with Jesus. Not with the church, not with theology, not with Jesus living in my life. It's very simple. You go to the cross and you say, Jesus, I'm sorry that you have been pushed aside. I'm busy. I'm doing everything. I'm actually acting like God and just got you as a bumper sticker on my life. And he's saying, I'd actually like to be in charge because I can give you a lot more life than you have right now. But you're going to have to wait in Jerusalem. The waiting in Jerusalem is going, oh, it didn't all happen overnight. So press in with your relationship with Jesus. Give him permission. Ask him to light a fire in you. Ask him to fill you with your, his spirit. You can't have a relationship with Jesus and not have a Pentecost, which is the Holy Spirit. It's the power of God. I don't care about your theology. It's only what you're used to. You probably haven't even thought about it, if you're like most of us. We have opinions that are totally unjustified other than we chicken. So God loves chickens and he uses roosters. He crowed three times and convicted Peter, right? You got that one? So, don't cherry pick your theology. You need the power of God to be able to stand for God, live for God and heal the cripples. So tongues is an easy way to learn how to be stupid in order to be foolish for him in other more significant ways. So you need the Holy Spirit and you need to be uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and that's just there for the asking and there for the releasing. And then ask God to use you where you are right now. There is somebody in each of our lives that God wants to speak to through you. And so, one of the things I believe he's wanting to say to us maybe this morning is up the ante on that. Start pressing in. Start getting more proactive. Not, oh, well, Johnny, I hope he comes to know Jesus, but, you know, I'll send him a Christmas card. Get a little more urgent than that. Lord, I'm putting him in my eyes now, my crosshairs. That's how Wayne and Tish came to know the Lord. I was playing squash with them. And I could never imagine Wayne. They're on the other side of the country now, so we can talk about them. I could never imagine Wayne coming to know the Lord. He was the best squash player in town. Very quiet guy. We used to play squash occasionally. Then he met Tish and then they came in through the marriage sort of preparation stuff. But he'd been praying for him for a while before that. There's somebody in your life. That, I'm not talking about the easy one. Take a difficult one. Take something that's difficult. 
and start saying, Lord, I want you to use me in the next month, not the next 15 years, the next month, because after the next month I want another one. And don't think you can get away with telling them about Jesus. That's, that's easy. You're going to have to say, Lord, how do you want to meet this guy? Get out of your comfort zone. And I haven't got a clue what that means. But if you want to grow as a Christian, this is the most exciting and the best way to do it. Start saying, get specific, get intentional, and get moving. It'll give you life, and it'll bring life to others, and it'll grow the church, which is a good thing too. And then, when you brought some people to Jesus, you can go on a mission trip. Because why should we inflict you on somebody else in some other country with a lot of problems if you can't even do it here? Sorry, they've got enough problems with the West going and saving the third world. So, that's the challenge. And what if, what if each person here did that? What if each person here, every week we had another cripple standing here? And you can be crippled emotionally, you can be crippled in lots of ways and said, this is what Jesus has done. What do you think would happen? Do you think you would feel something different about this place? Do you think there would be an excitement? Do you think there would be an anticipation? So let's get going. Father, we thank you for your life. We thank you that you have given us all we need. There is absolutely no difference between us and Peter and John. The disadvantages, we might be more intelligent. But we pray for one another that you would fire us up inside, Lord, to, to love you, to be loved by you, and to be used by you. And as we spend some time in, in worship now, will you bring to mind people that you want us to bring to you? Will you raise up in us faith? Will you pour out your spirit and fill places that are dry? Where relationships are weak and strained and and rather poverty-stricken, Jesus, with you, will you revive them right now? And Lord, where we're sick, where our bodies are sick, we pray for your healing spirit to anoint them. We pray for your healing in our brothers and sisters. We pray for faith to believe what we do not yet see. We pray that we would have the courage to lay down our lives in order that you might raise them up like those early disciples in the power of the Spirit to stand before authorities and stand before those who question and say, it is Jesus who has done this. Praise be to him. So Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to breathe into us today a life that will change this valley. Because it's changing us. And we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We ask you to forgive us where our testimony sadly is often we speak of everything except Jesus. So change that, Lord, we pray. We ask you to cleanse us and forgive us for our tepidness 
And we bless you that you love to revive and renew. So we're going to spend some time in worship. And this worship is really the prayers of the people. But we're trying to do the prayers of the people in a more interactive way because telling God the problems of the world, he kind of knows that. So it's more about saying, Lord, here we are, and hearing him. So we're creating space into which you and I can come before the Lord and take what we've heard this morning and make it real. It's not just about singing songs. It's creating a space together where God can walk among us and do what he wants to do. And we either dial out and we either opt out of that and go, oh, well, I don't like that song. Or we actually go, Lord, here I am. So...